Hi everyone, it's Joakim Akren, your host of the Elite Game Developers Podcast, a podcast about the entrepreneurs and investors who are building the games companies of the future. In this episode, I'm talking with Ben Cousins, who is an investor at Lakestar Ventures. He follows the worlds of gaming and crypto very closely and has backed a number of very exciting companies working at the intersection of gaming and crypto. So in this episode, we talk about how Ben got excited about cryptocurrencies and why he believes that gaming is a natural place for Bitcoin to exist and what the future looks like for gaming and Bitcoin. But before we go to this discussion, here's a few words from our sponsors. Are you a mobile game developer who's looking to try something new on the ad creative side? My top pick would be influencer-generated content, IGC, by Opera Event. Influencers and actors will make specific content from your games and Opera Event will deliver you high-quality video ads that highlight the best parts of your game. Go to getigc.com to see some examples. That's getigc.com. At Pollen VC, we're committed to helping game developers improve their financial literacy. That's why we've launched CFO Resources, a new section of our website that hosts a free suite of calculators and financial planning tools to help you plan your business and grow faster. Our financial forecaster tool helps you project cash flows and visualize your ROAS and LTV based on metrics you provide. And if you're a hyper-casual developer, you need to check our hyper-casual velocity calculator. Head over to pollen.vc and click CFO resources to get started. All right, we're live. Hi, Ben. Welcome to the show. Hello. I was listening to one of the podcasts that you were a guest on talking about cryptocurrency. It's just sneakers. Sneakers the to the metaverse. Yeah. Yeah. So that's brilliant. So like, let's continue from there and maybe do a bitter bit more like a deeper dive into gaming specifically but I, I wanted to start off this discussion with you on talking about like how you got into investing and to go into VC and join Lakestar. Yeah um, so I I mean way back when I was a teenager I actually started out in video games. My, my family worked in video games in the 80s. It's how my dad met my mom. It's why it's how I came into existence. Um, so I, I kind of went into, I followed the sort of same path there and went started out in QA uh, for a studio called Climax down in Portsmouth and it was just the most amazing kind of learning experience and exposure to the games at a very young age and uh, I kept going back uh, like every school holidays uh, all through university and it, eventually I kind of made it up to producer level and was working with them on kind of scheduling and managing a lot of the games they were creating um, and they did once I'd graduated I Joined them sort of full time, but very, very briefly, because uh, kind of life takes you in different directions. But uh, they worked on a on a spin out studio that was doing Facebook games in Flash uh, back when Zinger was a startup and kind of Farmville was the the big one, and there was uh, Cow Clicker as well. I remember, um, and we started to that gave me this whole insight into the behavioral psychology behind 
retention and and kind of player engagement and a b testing everything you were doing with your assets um, but we wanted to start to project or look into what retention and engagement meant for monetization and my um, university degree was french and spanish uh, which is a, a nice way of saying i had no idea how to use excel and so i i was i was kind of naive and i and i went off um thinking I'll, I'll just go and I'll do this like 10 month uh, masters in finance to go and learn uh, how to use Excel, how to understand a, P a company's P&L, how to really start to focus on the business side of gaming because I was definitely into that. And uh, I, I went there and, and there were a few things in the back of my mind. One is that in kind of prepping for this, I'd, I'd familiarized myself with a lot of like how the finance world was structured, including, you know, what an investment bank was, what private equity and uh, also what venture capital was. And right off the bat, uh, venture capital appealed to me because it was very, very close to technology. And I am at my core, I'm, I'm a geek, I'm a nerd. I like building computers. I like setting up home networks. I like being a bit of a kind of casual sysadmin as it were. Um, and so I was that in, you know, as I went into this master's, I was kind of thinking, yeah, I'd, I would love to kind of figure out a way to get into venture capital, but I had no idea how. And, uh, you know, fast skipping forward a bit, I basically came out of that master's and every single person I studied with was interested in working uh, finance and banking. And I got sucked into that. And I spent a couple of years with an investment bank called Molis that kind of gave me all of the training you need as a young analyst to figure your way around Excel. So I, ch I ticked that box and, and became very, very fast on Excel. Not as fast as I am on Counter-Strike, but almost as fast. And uh, I, I went from there onto a merchant bank called Rain, who specialize in uh, digital media and entertainment. And they do, they did a lot of work or they continue to do a lot of work with the video games industry. Um, it was, it was the partner there, John Salter, who I, who I met and who was kind enough to recruit me. Uh, and that was like this, this match made in heaven because, uh, I mean, rain, rain is a tremendous place. It has fantastic culture, really, really smart people. And then it worked in a sec very closely with the sector that I cared deeply about, which was gaming. So I'd kind of come full circle. Um, but then, uh, you know, over, over time, uh, what transpired was two things is one in, in 2015, a, a close friend of mine told me about Bitcoin and that just brought back my nerdy side on steroids. I, I had a, I had a good understanding of how P2P networks worked. I had a good understanding of, uh, online security and therefore a little bit of cryptography. I'm not going to pretend I'm a cryptographer, but I understood how encryption worked. Um, and it started to just completely absorb my brain like a virus. And I do kind of come at this from the standpoint, I think Bitcoin is for individual liberty and human empowerment. I do think it's a human right. And uh, I started to become quite obsessed with wanting to contribute to that ecosystem in whichever way I could. I, I wanted to see uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies adopted by the masses, as it were. Uh, and that's that reawakened this kind of venture capital uh, interest I had in the back of my mind. And I, and I kind of looked at the skill set I had and thought, OK, I think um, I think I'm ready to try and go into this now. And uh, I met the Lakestar guys shortly thereafter and was just really impressed by how uh, intelligent, open minded uh, and thoughtful they were. In, in sort of the world of investing alongside the sort of their focus areas were right up my street. So they did, did both uh, 
gaming uh they had invested in king uh back in the day which had actually done very well uh as well as blockchain investments where they'd done blockchain.com in the kind of first uh well, it'd be the second wave from a bitcoiner perspective but the first kind of public wave in 2016 to 17. Uh, I think actually Lakestar was probably one of the first VCs in Europe to start dabbling in the blockchain space. And that's uh, my partner, Nico, who I work very closely with, who led that. And we have amazingly geek conversations about <laughs> about blockchain. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that that led to today. And here I am. Yeah, I, I think the, the whole conversation now, I want to focus a lot on where you see Bitcoin and the whole cryptocurrency movement and the blockchain movement, NFTs, all of that, like tying into gaming. Um, but like, how did you get excited about sort of merging these two, I would say like two different sectors of tech in a sense, like you have gaming, mm. uh, which is very much entertainment focused, and you have Bitcoin, which is like a, a financing, uh, sort of like from a perspective, uh, the motivations there to start, you know, startups are perhaps a bit different, but where do you see the sort of like where you got excited about both of these sectors and merging them? Yeah, it's it's a bit of a weird one. I'm And I've tried to figure out why uh, I see them going together so so neatly. But I guess some of it is obviously my own background and, pro- and proximity and love for the games. And, um, and the other side of it is that I, in my... Uh, foray into into Bitcoin and blockchain. I was. It always came from a point of this is so fascinating, but it won't. It doesn't matter unless everyone starts using it. And you know, with previous P2P technologies, and I, I often kind of think of BitTorrent easy one for people to understand. Um, the reason that one took off was because it had a clear utility back in the days of file sharing, right? So it was okay. Yeah, the use case was primarily piracy, but uh, it that use case demonstrated the resilience and the utility and the speed of BitTorrent's technology. Um, I knew that I didn't appreciate it in the beginning that, you know, Bitcoin, Bitcoin's intense, uh, also the intense amount of th- that has gone into its game theory, its application of network effects, etc. And, you know, it's a whole rabbit hole you can jump in. Um, but, you know, I, I did kind of get drawn to it. I, that has sucked me in since into a fascination with what money is and everything like that. I don't think that's the purpose of discussion here. But what I could see was that a catalyst for adoption for a virtual currency to quite easily be a virtual world where, you know, a, a lot of the mainstream perception you see of Bitcoin is absolutely obsessed with the price. And for obvious reasons, but I've I, I've always been far, far, far more interested in the technology. The first kind of thing that I started doing when I got sucked into this world was downloading all the software, beginning to run it, and starting to try and understand what the roadmap project. And obviously, it's open source, so it's not like in investor land. You know, I get presented with decks, and there's like a timeline and where and milestones. Is this this going to happen with an open project like Bitcoin? But you did start to see glimmers in kind of the white paper for the Lightning Network in 2017, and then you know the the kind of uh, BIPs uh, Bitcoin proposal that were coming forward to add functionality. Uh, and I also had this appreciation that in open source, and I'd, I'd learned this from Linux, which I occasionally dive into and remind myself that I really struggled with it from a usability perspective, but uh, that you kind of have to, when a feature gets announced in open source land, you've got to allow for like 24 months or so for it to actually materialize on in the software itself. 
Um, mm. And so I didn't think it was any coincidence that Lightning was announced in 17 and then it was kind of deployed in 2020, uh, instant transactions to Bitcoin. And now I'd say it's kind of reaching that exponential growth level where the vast majority of Bitcoin in the network have appreciated its benefits and are now starting to run Lightning alongside their Bitcoin. Um, I should say that, you know, I also... Uh, I'm very Bitcoin centric, but uh, I, I, you know, there's a there's a lot of if you if you're on social media, it's incredibly tribalist. I I, th I think uh, that is helpful from the perspective of boosting awareness and defending attacks and all these kind of things on any on any cryptocurrency. But uh, it it does tend to get rid of all in the debate. And I would say that my broad view is that I think. Uh, for the moment, and it you know things change, but for the moment, I think that Bitcoin in it is the only monetary uh, asset amongst all of the other blockchains. It, you know, put more simply, it's the only one that is money, and it's uh, it's focused on being money, and you can kind of consolidate the uh, differences with the chains versus Bitcoin to into something quite simple, in my opinion, and that is that Bitcoin developers are focused on uh, ossification of the protocol. It means they want to get it done, as it were. Uh, as soon as possible and stop adding to it so that it just is this ultra reliable ultra resilient but very basic monetary network and then they will then the developers onto other layers on top of that core protocol uh, the second layer being lightning for instant payments the third layer will probably be smart contracting and therefore the kind of ability to issue a uh, token and then etc on top of bitcoin although you, you can do it today um, but the you know and, and then the others are the other coins Ethereum, Polkadot, Solana, Cosmos, etc. Move to proof of stake models quite quickly for speed uh, and are very much more willing to kind of to I'm being very simple here but to kind of move fast and break things and uh, that that's just the, the that's the kind of fundamental difference I see and what I think it's going to result in is that uh, the other blockchains have manifest utility. Um, although they still work, operate and process in fiat currency. I think something you really notice amongst those developers is that they're, they're, there is a tendency, and I'm brushing with broad strokes here, um, but there is a tendency to focus on the fiat price of the asset, whereas amongst Bitcoin developers, it's very much how much Bitcoin can they amass before it becomes too expensive. Um, and then the plan is to start obviously spending it in a, in a Bitcoin native. Um, so I, I believe that essentially the other chains will wind up working like coin-op machines uh, in like in the arcade you would go in you would hand over your money you receive plastic tokens and those would make the machines work um, in cryptocurrency land I believe will insert Bitcoin uh, for additional functionality and then you will pull out Bitcoin on the other side and that those the tokens that power those chains may well be completely invisible to the end user and only the operators of those chains will kind of think of and deal in uh, those tokens. For regular folk, uh, they will they will price and think in Bitcoin. Yeah, I think like there's so much to unpack here, but I I think like I want to also like point out where I'm coming from. So I I, I used to be quite skeptical about like spending time on figuring out cryptocurrencies but i think last year it started to change as ethereum became sort of like a big thing mm -hmm. uh, especially with the nfts yeah. and all the the appliance to to art to 
you know, MP3 files. I think that's the most interesting one, and uh, and, and certain sort sort of like limited edition virtual passes to content is very mm-hmm. interesting. Um, so that that started like I started going down thinking about this the, through this rabbit hole of hey, there's actually the the scarcity. Uh, is actually real uh, what you can achieve with this like with all the the possibility of virtual goods uh, tied into a blockchain and and having that ownership through uh, these these systems but I, I wanted to ask a few sort of clarifying questions I, I think like most most of the audience will still be a bit like I don't know how I should get involved what should I think about these things so i'll just ha- ask a few clarifying questions so like for instance like if i would want to buy bitcoin like if the price is forty thousand mm-hmm. dollars at this stage like i don't have forty thousand like what do i do how do i get bitcoin yeah uh do you know this is so much this was this is so common as a question even i had kind of overlooked it um you know, I, I, the way there is a strong thing, there is a thing called unit bias where people see the price of something and it's just too expensive without yeah. appreciating that you can fractionally own something. To put that in um, plain English, as it were, uh, you know, just as one pound is made up of 100 pennies or one euro made up of 100 cents, one Bitcoin is made up of 100 million Satoshi, which is sats. For- and uh, very quickly over the next three years, I predict we'll find people start referring to sats almost exclusively and much more rarely to Bitcoin. Or you may find that they start using the word sats and Bitcoin interchangeably. Um, so you can, you know, there are now apps uh, worldwide that are called LastBit for Europeans. There's BottlePay in the UK. Uh, there's Swan over in the US. But you can now set up uh, auto buys of Bitcoin over Lightning. Uh, you know, of tiny amounts. So I have one set up to buy a hundred pounds a month, but it processes weekly. Uh, I don't think about it. It's like a set and forget thing. And at the end of the month, I uh, transfer those sats, that Bitcoin, as it were, back over to my wallet. uh, And that's kind of treating it like a savings product. Um, so it's yeah, the, the price is is one thing, but rem- but there you know there's a lot of decimal points after a Bitcoin, and that 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 means something. Those are those are the pennies, and you can collect the pennies, <laughs> as it nice, were. Nice, that helps a lot already to, to sort of like go after. But like, okay, I'm ready to buy some sats. Uh, where mm. should I go? What's the sort of like the the novice uh, advice? Like purchase yeah a lot of people still go to the exchanges so you know the famous one is obviously coinbase there's kraken there's there's several others um i kind of think they're more engineered for big purchases and they're increasingly focusing on the fact that institutions are now buying uh bitcoin um so you know i I actually recommend now for most people that they use one of the the apps i I just mentioned earlier because they're they're set up. I mean, you can even use Revolut now, for example, which has it, it. They've allowed you to actually send the Bitcoin out of the app, which is a fundamental change, which makes me happier to recommend it. Um, where you know you can just set up a, a small weekly buy, or you could do one larger buy through those apps, and uh, you have some Bitcoin. And then you know I, what I tend to say to most people is, don't overthink it. Um, once you have some, you can kind of leave it there. But as soon as you've got, as soon as the value of that Bitcoin becomes something where you look at it and you go, oh, I'd, I'd really rather that were in my savings account, 
you know, kind of thinking about your checking account and your savings account. As soon as it gets up to that kind of level, um, you should. Pro that's the moment at which to start kind of educating yourself about a Bitcoin wallet. Uh, and get and this is where you kind of hear about the writing down you know your 12 or 20 foot magical words and looking after them um, and you know some people call it private keys technically but you know that that I think is the appropriate moment to think about it on this journey because getting into cryptocurrency in general is uh, and it requires education and most people don't have the time you know, to spend hours and hours uh, alongside their job and their family, all of this other stuff to start like really plowing it. Um, yeah. So my kind of recommendation is keep it simple. Don't yeah, overthink exactly. it. You know, don't don't bet the farm on Bitcoin on day one. Just start dabbling with it. Send it to yourself. Send it to a friend. Understand how, the mechanics of how it works and let yourself get comfortable with what it is and how it functions because it is here to stay. At this. If you buy Bitcoin, where does it actually come from? Who's sort of like selling it? Yeah, so uh, miners are rewarded with freshly minted Bitcoin for maintaining the for, va for validating transaction a block. Uh, I mean, we can get more technical. I'd kind of prefer not to. I, th I think we're reaching a stage where the average person can actually trust in resilience and power of this network. Um, but they can all, because it's open source and it, there are no barriers to information. So you can go as technical and deep to get to, you know, I've, I've reached a level where I'm operating, uh, you know, my own node and, and running quite a lot of stuff on, on top of it. Uh, I'm actually getting ready to spin up another node. Um, and I understand, you know, UTXO management, etc. But, you know, your listeners don't, I think, need to know this at this stage. And it's not really, <laughs> it's not really the place to get into that. I think the way to think yeah. about it is that Bitcoin is, new Bitcoin is generated by those that uh, maintain the security of the network. And uh, that reward that they're issued with, they sell a part of it to other Bitcoin users. Uh, that's how they fund their operations. And then, the, and then it is in the economy, as it were. You recommended this book on this other podcast, Layered Money. Uh, it so is fantastic. I, yeah. Yeah. It helped a lot. I, I picked it up and went through it. It's not big, like 160 pages. So, but it, it sort of like illustrates why cryptocurrency has this big pull and like why sort of like the, the old money has a lot of flaws that Bitcoin doesn't have. And I didn't realize all these facts before mm. reading that. So I, I think also the scarcity and the the game theory, like you explained yeah. about like the limitness, like limited amount of Bitcoin that will be available, uh, which which makes it very, very sort of like an interesting, interesting currency. It's infinitely divisible is what I find very interesting but conceptually hard for people to understand so there's you know if you the way i'd explain this is if one euro comprises a hundred cents but then there's a problem in the financials and we have to figure out collective society how to deal with it the solution right now is to create another euro and therefore your original euro has gone down in value by half on bitcoin that is not the visibility so it would be equivalent of making one euro now comprise a thousand cents instead of a hundred and therefore your one euro is still worth one euro but it is more liquid there's more of it to go around so wherever this is jammed up you can then actually start reusing that liquid. but like that we don't go into this rabbit hole any further <laughs> like, <laughs> like let's pull back a bit and think about the the, the ways that game developers should be thinking about um bitcoin like you 
have been involved with the, the merging of these two gaming and, and Bitcoin. Like, can you talk about some of the examples out there? What's what's going on for, for gaming? And you're, for instance, involved with uh, Zebedee, which is a portfolio company of Lake Stark. Can you expand a bit on, on the, the, the things that are going on there? Yeah, sure. So, you know, and I think it will help to extend this as well into the kind of broader discussion around uh, what I'd call blockchain gaming and how NFTs come in all of that. And I'm, I'm sure yeah. we'll touch on it. But, um, you know, just on on Bitcoin itself, um, you know, I, th- I think uh, the, the Zebedee guys who I met a few years ago now, and I'm, I'm, I'm working with them to help them with this development right now, um, they what they figured out is that there's you know i think uh chris mandelduck who's their head of games makes the point that actually way back in this kind of late 70s and early 80s when games were through arcade machines there was always a financial component you actually had to insert money to play the game uh we've since obviously moved into free to play uh which is which has done wonders for the games but there is still concepts in games like coins or gems or diamonds etc that add this financial component uh and we increasingly are aware and i don't think it's news to any of your listeners that video game economies can massive uh you know i i the best examples are always the the hardcore mmos that have that have stuck around for years because of the nature of social interaction trade and economic activity that they generate in their virtual world so i'm thinking of like world of warcraft escape online etc and indeed when you go and look at those economies there are pretty substantial black markets that are formed around them trading uh, the in-game currency for real money and you know the the most famous of this is of the gold farming phenomenon on wow which was mainly driven out of china Um, but you know this there has never been a means of actually having that inherent and native to the game but now you now you do so that trading instead of occurring via paypal ebay player options etc where there's a strong risk or there's a massive amount of trust in the other players and a, and a big risk of fraud you know the games developers themselves don't fully in this now you can actually make the economic value flow transparently through the game where players and developers and traders all alike can participate in the economy and put put in value and importantly take out value and where this tends to uh, bend minds a bit amongst developers is well if the money can leave the game how do i how am i making any money to keep the game going but i think this is the this is where you're going to see the real revolution come because i think it can work in to play economies perfectly as well is that by using bitcoin's lightning network which has effectively zero fees to process a transaction you can finally and this has been wanted by games developers since the mid 90s as far as i can tell and finally microtransactions at massive scale and it is economically viable you know, the, the, there's a reason and most of you will know this that the kind of cheapest asset you can purchase in a game is usually around you know 70 cents or so and that's because you've got the the 30 percent apple you've then got the payment process and if you know effectively just to make sure you can profitably sustain these microtransactions there is a floor on the price well by using lightning that goes away you can actually have players send each other 0.0001 cents in in fiat currency terms you know absolutely minuscule payment um and what's that going to do you know what what will that do if uh you might 
want to buy some some rags in in world of warcraft literally some tired old clothes and you might need them for something you don't know but maybe you're willing to pay one cent for it well now you could purchase it off the player and you as the ip owner i.e the game developer can monetize every single transaction that occurs in that economy. So every single time a, a transaction occurs, can charge a basis fee uh, on top of that transaction and generate revenue. And to give you an idea of the scale of this, we've, we've run some numbers at, uh, at Zebedee. And we think even with a, a moderately successful game of kind of 5 million monthly active users, where they're only spending, they're only making kind of 500 transactions a month. So that's not much, right? If you think about the amount of trading that goes on in the marketplaces in Inkscape, for example, uh, and that that average transaction is worth 150 sats in Bitcoin terms, pull that fractions of a cent. Uh, we reckon that a game developer could make heading towards at Bitcoin's current price of forty thousand uh, dollars, heading towards ten million dollars in in revenue, and that scales exponentially. And this is what's really interesting because Lightning can handle incredible volume; it can handle incredible sort of millions of transactions a second, Visa Visa kind of scale. And so, if you had, you know, you can that's what five million MAU does. Well, imagine when you're and you've got a hundred million MAU, you're looking at billions. Uh, potentially even per month. This is astron, and and you can and uh, the players are also simultaneously taking value out of the game themselves. So you've got this virtuous circle where you have the game economy self-sustaining and monetizing, players paying in value and extracting value, and that's the incentive they have to get the economy going. And I think games developers do an excellent job of incentivizing trading and activity in games because they're very capable of building virtual worlds that are very immersive uh, where economic activity is encouraged. Hmm. This is a no-brainer for PC. I think like PC games, MMOs uh, should be already like all looking into this. I think the, the, the realm that I'm, I'm curious a lot about is mobile. So I spent some time thinking about the free-to-play games that are are sort of like popular in the West and where where we could have certain kind of like trading because it's not that common in mobile games yet. But there was like, if you remember, Heyday has the orders board mm-hmm. where, where you're sort of like uh, doing tasks. You could have each sort of task having a reward in some kind of like virtual currency or, or cryptocurrency. Yes. And then... Another place which is really interesting is this trading uh, booth that you have there on your farm where you see other players, like what they're trading, uh, what like, you know, you have corn here, maybe you have milk, and you could pay that uh, with some in-game currency plus some cryptocurrency. So mm-hmm. like there would be immediately this kind of like place where that is happening. I don't think many mobile developers think about it a lot. It's it's actually yes. on the casual casual side. There's a lot of potential I see with the the, the Bitcoin spending and uh, in the trading realm. Absolutely, we we have, and I'm 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 not going to uh, be cute with developers that might be listening. It's challenging on iOS with Apple's uh, restrictions on the apps to do a a fully Bitcoin economy in a mo- in a mobile game. I think that you know to say to tell you otherwise at this current point in time would be disingenuous. But the uh, we have. We're working with three or four, five developers now 
who are all experimenting with different methods of this. And we have figured out ways where Apple accept it. And I do believe that in the long run, um, that the grip that they have over the App Store video gaming is substantially. I'm not sure when it will uh, fall away or open up, uh, but I am predicting that that's going to happen within five years. Um, however, you know, we've there's a number of experiments that are quite interesting as ways of actually still having this incentive mechanic. But we've seen that it massively increased retention and engagement because there is a financial component to the game. Um, even when it's microtransactions, what's interesting, people aren't putting their life savings on the line. They're taking like five bucks a month in fiat terms, you know, out of the game, for example. But uh, worldwide, to so say we've got a substantial player base in Brazil on our on our Counter Strike kind of proof of concept, we'll talk about because it's another big angle. But you know, they they might take anywhere between five and twenty five dollars home a month. In Brazil, that's uh, a decent amount of money. In some cases, these teenagers and sort of young adults are telling us that they're earning more than their parents by playing video games. This is a huge thing for financial inclusion, for personal liberty. It's, I, it, it, it makes me honestly very excited and very proud to be able to be close to this kind of stuff. However, to get back to the topic, um, you know, we've seen uh, developers back their in-game currency with Bitcoin. So the actual, there is a, there are two currencies. There is the Bitcoin treasury that the company holds, the developer holds, and then there is the in-game currency, which is redeemable for Bitcoin from the players. And that enables uh, games developers that are interested in kind of maintaining control over pricing their game items or managing and balancing their game economy. That allows that to happen um, by making a kind of variable exchange rate exist between the game and the, and, the, and the actual native Bitcoin. The other is that we've seen, and this has worked very well for casual games. The other thing we've seen is that you can give players, and this is absolutely fine by Apple's standards, you can give players Bitcoin rewards for do you know things that happen in the game like achieve um so there's a you know there's a studio called thunder games they have a couple of games out on the app store where you know one's an endless runner called turbo 80 uh the other's a uh, bounce game where you call bitcoin bounce in both of those examples or collecting uh tokens while you play the game and those tokens get entered into a raffle and you have a chance every single day of winning a bitcoin uh for the and it's it's kind of correlated to the amount of tokens you're able to collect i.e how far you're along the game you're able to get and um that again is a huge retention driver it keeps in the kind of casual and hyper casual market it keeps players coming back even though they're only taking home you know every single day something like 10 sats which is it's it's you know in fiat terms trivial value they are, they want the sats you know they they, they act, players want to collect points as it were because they yeah. know that someday they're going to be worth more than they are today yeah actually I, I wanted to ask you about the consumer behavior there a bit like first off like what are numbers and secondly like aren't people holding bitcoin more than they're spending it like uh, can you answer both of those um some I can yeah I can I can answer I can't speak for the developers who are building on top of the Zebedee platform I don't have their numbers be disclosing them um, the the within our own community uh, and tournament over the course of lockdown called Mint Gox uh, it happens once a month I think it's the last Sunday of every month and it's a it's kind of a Bitcoin gaming so the flagship is we run a Counter Strike tour uh, for Sats those prizes are getting pretty large we. Uh, over the uh, weekend last month, we gave out a whole Bitcoin to players. Um, there's also a game called Bitcoin Rally. It's a kind of Mario Kart style uh, racer where the coins on the track are actual Bitcoin. 
uh, streamers watching the game can uh, send Bitcoin into the game to drop power-ups for certain players. So there's this interactive audience to gamer component. Um, and then there's a number of casual games running alongside it, including Thunder Games' own, which we just, we just mentioned. Um, that has crossed the tens of thousands of threshold uh, quite recently. And we're processing hundreds of thousands of transactions, you know, an hour during those events. Um, so we're kind of seeing that activity c come along and we're also seeing how it's a flywheel where people are watching the Twitch stream or they're telling their friends, hey, I'm earning Bitcoin playing games and they come straight to the Discord and they don't even necessarily, we've, this is what's really exciting that we've seen. They don't even know that it's Bitcoin. They don't even know necessarily that it's cryptocurrency. What they know is that they're receiving a payout of some sort from the game and they, they call the sats in some cases stash. So they're not even, they're not bothered about the fact that they, you know, the technicalities of it, what they're seeing is, oh, hey, I actually just got something out of this. Oh, and it says it's worth about $3 or so. Awesome. Uh, you also have this kind of amazing unit effect where because sats are so small in value, you know, when we give out large prizes, uh, the players are really wowed. So if you know, if you win a race in Bitcoin Rally and we say, congratulations, you've won 10 million sats, that's got a real like, wow, 10 million, that's a lot. Like normally I only win 10 when I play casually. So they, they, they get this component where they want to play and they want to eat. And that's what having skin in the game does, you know, with players. They're, they're, these, aren't big, these aren't big dollar numbers, but they are still enough to lift that engagement and lift that retention excitement uh, significantly. Yeah, I think it's it's just a matter of time before my nine-year-old comes to me and shows his Bitcoin wallet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I can anecdotally, uh, I can tell you. I mean, I, I've been I, obviously I, I've been uh, playing this for. I'm one of the longer players in the Mintgox tournament, but I, I started playing Counter Strike Go, and I used to play competitively. I'm not as good as I used to be, but I'm I can. Um, but I like I um, started playing that as soon as it came out, and I think you know, sort of year to date, as it were independent of the bitcoin price i've made a couple of thousand dollars playing counter-strike casually for bitcoin and yeah. uh i worked out you know when i was 16 or so i probably played 30 hours a week or so and i worked out, i kind of annualized it on the back of the envelope i worked out i would have been making about fifty thousand dollars a year playing this and that's in an asset that also has a tendency to absolutely skyrocket in value uh, with each adoption cycle. And so had I done that, I could have got to university, you know, with probably hundreds of thousands of pounds in the bank. I would never have had student debt. My whole life could have panned out differently. And I think that's very a very exciting proposition for the entire gaming. It's really going to transform the concept of uh, how we interact with video games and what the incentives are. And even more compelling, and this kind of speaks to the other blockchain gaming, is that this currency is interoperable with any game that implements it. So when we talk about abstract concepts like the metaverse, uh, I believe very firmly that the metaverse will require a currency. And the idea that we'll have multiple gardens with their own coin is going to be tested. Um, but just like in the real world where multiple currencies hasn't worked out and we consolidated amongst essentially three, right? US dollar, euro, and uh, renminbi. Um, in this, I think you'll see it consolidate around the Bitcoin layer because it's the most open and most interoperable and players will want that. They'll demand it, I think. Have you seen any signs of sort of like a casual, more casual audience who plays solitaire, hyper casual games, like them, like any, any, anything happening there regarding Bitcoin and, and gaming? Or oh, is there anything, any signals on that front? 
all I can say is uh, watch this space. Uh, there is a we're going to announce a new game from a new developer um, at an upcoming mint goal that is uh, very focused on the same areas that King etc go after in terms of gameplay. So you can think of it casual uh, match or merge gaming. Uh, I don't want to spoil the surprise, but uh, you, yes, that's coming. Yeah, all right, <laughs> I'll wait for that. Hey, hey, let's let's talk a bit about NFTs because I, I think that's that's sort of like everybody sees and and knows and understands, mm -hmm. and I, I think that that sort of movement has brought the most believers into into the into the crypto space yeah, in the it's recent. Fantastic. Yeah, in the recent twelve months, it's been crazy. Like, what? How do you make sense of that and? Uh, where do you think it's going to lead now uh, in the next 12, 24 months to, to new startups forming and investments getting made? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I guess I should start with saying I absolutely, particularly in gaming, see the value uh, and appeal of NFT. I mean, the idea that I could, uh, let's say, you know, in, in Zelda, I could get the Master Sword and then I could actually, you know, be the one player that got that first maybe i was the you know in, say you were doing a speed run or something you can be like yeah you know i've got my claim to fame here there's absolute there's absolute proof that i got it that gives it some rarity and uh i can either carry that with me for uh, and like flex as it were or i can uh start trading that with other players and maybe even one day it can go into another game and you know i could be uh running around i don't know halo and I've got and I'm wielding that same master sword. That's a that's a very powerful concept, and I think to stay. Um, what's where I think the nuance comes into this is in the actual like technical implementation of. Um, and uh, what if you really take a close look at this, what you notice is that the end user is the the average gamer is not um, what I would call crypto aware. Of course, they've heard of of Bitcoin, Ethereum uh and and kind of what's going on but their own sort of familiarity with how it all works is is relatively nascent um i mean to put it in context you know there are something like uh five million metamask wallet users and that's the most popular wallet on ethereum um you know there are sort of a uh, hundred million bitcoiners or so but even though in, in the context of gaming you know there are 2.7 billion gamers so let's just remember the kind of scales thinking about in this market However, that, that doesn't mean that it, one can't grow exponentially. And I do think you're going to see uh, NFTs as a, as a mechanism in game economy become a really big part of it. Where I think the challenges uh, arise are in the economics of it. I mean, for now, I think to implement NFT in your game, and it's, it's a fast moving space, it's always changing. But for now, um, developers do actually have to have familiarity with blockchain mechanics and how they work. So. You know, in, in Ethereum, it's sort of like understanding gas prices, understanding the various different types of tokens, ERC-720, ERC-115, etc. And understanding that is a, is a barrier for a games developer. You know, you've got plenty on your plate already with actually building the game to then actually start to have to get into kind of the management of those assets and, and blockchain native thinking is uh, a little bit of a hurdle. Um, and on top of that, uh, I think when you're when you think about the economic incentives here, there is this amazing wow moment if an NFT or an in-game asset is traded for sort of $10 million or something. It's like, holy moly. And I'm sure as the developer, you're just like, yeehaw, because it's a socking great chunk of cash to land in your balance. 
but uh, how many more times does an asset that valuable trade or change hands? Uh, and the answer we're seeing at the moment, and things change, but at the moment is very little. In fact, at the you know right now after the initial wave of of uh, adoption, again same as cryptos in 2017, um, the transactions are really slowing down and for Cliff across. Uh, most NFT platform. And what this points to is, I think, is exhausting the addressable market because it, at the moment it's still small because there is this kind of hurdle to actually getting into it where you've got to get a, get a wallet, buy ETH, uh, wrap it, send it into the game, exchange it for the token, pull it. Like there's a, there's a few steps. And in, in time to fun metrics, as in in the gaming world, that's friction, right? That's friction to conversion. That needs more seamless. Um, and I also think because of this, end users don't care what chain they're. So actually, you know, the, the truth is that effectively most of the major blockchains and cryptocurrency issue NFT. Um, and there are some that are even fully optimized for gaming, like Dapper Labs with their flow protocol. Um, and they're even, you know, they've done the whole NBA Top Shot thing. Um, they're seeing uh, activity drop somewhat, but they've also got a far more consumer friendly product. So let's see what happens there. So I think developers, when they're looking at NFTs, should think about um, what chain they're using, what developments is they're going to have to commit to this and what they're going to be managing. The other, the last piece I'd say on this, and you can tell it's technical, I'm, ha I'm happy to discuss this in detail with, with any developer that is curious, but um, is the transaction fee side of things. You know, at, at the moment, and it, again, it's changing, um, but at the moment, any material usage of any service on the proof-of-stake blockchains results in fee spikes. So it, you're, you know, the way I would put this is I, I don't really think you're going to be able to hit your target as a game developer if it gets popular. And by popular, I mean it crosses, say, 500,000 to a million users. And suddenly the cost of trading an in-game asset surges to kind of 70 to 100 dollars per transaction you know to click maybe you bought that asset originally when the game was underutilized for 10 dollars, but now to actually make it worth your while someone else has to perceive that asset as being worth the 10 plus the gas fee plus some sort of additional profit you're hoping to gain and this gets exponentially more complicated the more use you have so in a in a call duty scenario you were trading guns for example and the present technology stack uh, you would find that fees would just be prohibitively high and play, you'd, the only players who would be able to transact would be those that had tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars to spare in this in-game economy. Um, and that's why I kind of move, for the moment, I focus on what actually just bringing a payment rail that is crypto native into games. I, I do very firmly believe that rather than having, you know, one or two amazing wow price sort of NFTs uh, leave your game and, and blow the, uh, generate a lot of press attention, but then never trade again, even if you had a royalty encoded into that smart contract, I don't think you'll make as much revenue as a games developer as if you preserve, if you maintain the ownership of that IP within your in-game economy and actually incentivize instead thousands upon thousands of microtransactions where you take a, a small cut. You know, the, if you had one asset change hands every single day, uh, 10,000 times you were taking five cents a piece, you know, versus uh, an NFT that traded once for 10 million and then didn't trade again for another three years. You know, one is much more sustainable as a revenue than the other. Mm. Yeah, I, I think like one of the like things that really got me thinking about, because I, I immediately go back to, hey, what? how do I apply this to mobile games? How do I apply NFTs there? So I was thinking like, hey, actually, 
a lot of the developers applied the epic model of battle pass that they built into Fortnite, where they have seasons like which last maybe two months and they always have an exclusive item character skin uh supercell adapted that to the clash royale clash of clans uh, mm-hmm. brawl stars so you could actually think about like having a brawl stars game where you would have a battle pass system but like you if you go through the battle pass you're gonna get uh nft based character <laughs> like and there's yeah. only you know only during that season you can get this uh character and and, and it's limited and, yes um, I, I think that already creates sort of like an interesting case for hey maybe somebody should clone <laughs> clash of clans and have an nft component on top of it and that would be a viable business like and that that's sure. that's what i mean by i totally see it i t- i totally get the appeal i absolutely think this is coming in a big way uh you can build nft the bitcoin blockchain you know watch this space from that perspective there's a company satoshi's games who have an NFT place that is native um the the way i i kind of perceive it for now is that games developers they are amazing at incentivizing this kind of behavior and trading and if you we've seen this actually in a business called aglet which lake stars also invested um they offer they let play it's like pokemon go for sneakerheads and collected sneakers around the world and they are scarce in the game so you might get a unique one-off drop and they see players flock to that and turn scramble to try and get it but you can't yet take it out of the game uh, it still only lives in that game world, but it has an in-game marketplace where you can go and trade it with other sneakerheads. There isn't, technically speak, an NFT component there, but the the same behavior is occurring because the digital asset is scarce within that game world. And uh, I think you see the same in old school games. Like in RuneScape, there's the famous half jug of wine, which is like astronomically valuable. You can't get a half, you can't generate a half jug of wine in RuneScape anymore. So I think the the concept of digital scarcity is very real, um, but I'm not yet sure that you 100% need to open the kind of NFT floodgates uh, from a game's perspective. It is def, I caveat that with it is definite, um, but I, I believe that in the near term, there is more. Uh, there is more. There's a more lucrative opportunity in recognizing this behavior and beginning to focus on monetizing it in an in-game economy. Uh, for the moment, like that's 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 where sort of my mind goes. And you know, it's very easy to assign a unique, be a bit technical to assign assign a unique hash to an in-game item to make it provably scarce for when you then decide to open up that economy to external trading. Right. Hey, before we go to the final questions, I wanted to ask you, like, if I would be as a, you know, a game developer, maybe a mobile game developer, uh, I, I want to sort of like start to dabble with with Bitcoin. What, mm. What's like, what should I try out? What are some good ways to get Bitcoin into my game? Like, what's a good SDK? What's like a tutorial that I should go through? Like just, you know, not to spend like six months you know, like trying to understand it, but is there like something easy to pick up and just try start trying? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I mentioned some games earlier if you want to try it and see some of the mechanics people deploying. Um, I think this the, the Counter-Strike one is the hardcore end of the spectrum that's very impressive. Like when you actually drop in the map, 
and you run over them and collect them and you see your wallet balance go up that i find that just like wow but um the in the kind of mobile space there is uh there's sarutobi is another game that i'd recommend which is a very casual kind of swing thing game where you're throwing a monkey in the air and collecting bananas and bitcoin out of the sky um but from a developer angle you know it's not surprising but i'm going to point you to zebedee and there's a reason for that and that is that they are the only uh company out there right now that is doing this and what they offer is a set of uh open uh rest apis that work with unity and unreal um you can kind of interface with and you get a developer dashboard gives you analytics and kind of monitor your transactions and then on and sort of imminently arriving is also uh the zebedee game server which you know will let developers uh get going with kind of a best practices game server for running a, a bitcoin native game and most of that is documented on Zebedee's website under the documentation section. Um, but the team, you know, work pretty closely with people who are coming and brand new to the sector to make sure they understand it. And I think importantly, because some developers will be aware of this, there, you know, because it's money, there is a uh, regulatory and compliance angle and Zebedee handle all of that. So the whole point from the developer, we, the, we kind of function like Stripe, but for gaming. So the, the kind of way to think about it is you don't have to understand anything about how Bitcoin and blockchain works. What you get is a simple set of commands like pay, request, withdraw, etc. And then you can program the functionality of that of the Bitcoin into your game, however you see fit. You can have challenges where you have to unlock a door by paying sats. You can have player trading. You can do it in competitive play and esports. However you want to do it, that's up to you. You don't need to understand Bitcoin. Zebedee handles that on the back end, along with the KYC, the AML, the transaction tiering, uh, and all of the compliance function. The idea is it's it's pretty plug and play and you just get experimenting come up with great i'm gonna add the links into the show notes so everybody can find those later on awesome but yeah hey ben some final questions like do you have a favorite book why is it your favorite book uh favorite book of all time is gonna be it's probably something by an author called borges from argentina i i read him uh at university a lot of his work and he massive inspired me and i found i find his the kind of uh brain tea he writes short compendium the brain tea is amazingly kind of mind-bending uh he inspired me so much i actually started writing like a film adaptation of books at one Whoa. point um and then uh but right now i'm reading a book from neil stevenson i don't know how to pronounce it it's 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 like read me but with the d and the m swapped and that is about a uh a girl who gets kidnapped by some uh, terrorists, and then they interact with the uh, with her fa- with her father through a gigantic MMO called Terrain. And uh, the reason I was reading it is because the CEO of Zebedee told me about it. And the players can tra- can the whole thing of the book is the players can spend real money in the game and take out real money. And it's like it's like a high speed caper. It's I've got like three quarters of the way through it now, and I'm now sort of turning the pages so quickly. It's it's a it's a good like kind of sci-fi book if if you're into that. Nice, nice. Hey, do you have a story that has shaped you in how you approach your work today? Uh, I'd say um, I try to make sure that I'm always completely in touch with my inner. Uh, I don't, uh, you know, in in investing. Um, 
it is you can quite easily overlook understanding the technology and instead kind of focus on uh, the business model and all of that. And I sort of fall in the camp where actually the true competitive moat comes from the way the software is built, the scalability of it, what choices were made in the kind of technical architecture and geeky stuff like that. And uh, it inspires that I have that kind of curiosity innately. It is it has affected me in all areas of my life. When I got interested in cinema, I started making. Uh, when I got in, when I started enjoying reading, I started writing. Uh, when I started playing games, I ended up working in making. Um, and you know, I think I'd recommend everyone do that. Always, always pursue your curiosity all the way. Every single person is inherently creative, whether they know it or not. And the way you discover that is by going deep into your passions and actually exploring how the, the people you admire themselves uh, started, to, you know, did it, uh, as it were. I, and I apply that to music as well. I've, I've started recording music. I'm obsessed with music and I can't fathom how the creative spark happens to create a song like Let's Dance if you're David Bowie. Like, where does that come from? It's just amazing. Exactly. <laughs> it, is, it is. I'm a geek in that realm as well. <laughs> Let's talk about 80s music. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Hey, as the last question, Ben, uh, what's the best way for founders to, to get in uh, contact with you? Let's say they want to talk about like what kind of startup they're doing or like help with uh, getting into crypto and Bitcoin. Sure. Uh, so I'm on LinkedIn under Ben Cousins, which is C-O-U-S-E-N-S. -E and I'm also on Twitter at BitSpooky. Uh, my old gamer tag was Spooky Muffin, and I kind of merged it with Bitcoin. It's a bit spooky, but you can you can find me there, and I'll, I'll probably I don't know what my DM status is. I don't use Twitter that much, so I might flip it to open, and uh, you just feel free to reach out. I'm I don't bite. Nice. Hey Ben, this was so great. Like I think I think we need to do another one at some time in the future when when sort of like this whole uh, merging of these two has evolved a bit. So this was this was really good. Yeah, we can, we can do like a report card and see how the predictions matched up. But uh, no, thanks very much for having me. It's, uh, it's been great to talk about this. I, I, I don't shut up about it to my friends. So it's actually nice to do it professionally. <laughs> yeah, it is. Hey, uh, take care, man. Thanks very much. Cheers. Bye. If you like our content, please do hit follow or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcasting app so that you'll get notified when next week's episode is available. And in the meantime, please do go and check out our weekly newsletter at EliteGameDevelopers.com slash newsletter. It's going to go out on Friday mornings where I share all the interest areas for myself in gaming startups. So check it out and I'll see you next week. Take care, everybody. Bye bye.